If you open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 7, the moment we're going to read this account of Scripture that, of, 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 of Jesus' interaction with a Pharisee and a woman. You know, the Christ, Christian life is not difficult. It's not a, it's not a complicated thing. Uh, the concept is very, very simple. You put your trust in Christ, He changes you, and then you follow Him. That's all there is to it. Very simple. But what complicates it is all of the things that surround us in this world. The circumstances that we deal with, the challenges we face, things that we weren't expecting, things that just kind of kind of hit us in the face all of a sudden. And, uh, and we have to deal with all of those things, and it makes it a, a challenge. Well, I want you to, want you to notice, um, in, in Luke chapter 7, uh, our, our, uh, the point of what we do at church is about trying to explain what the Bible says about how we accomplish those things that God wants us to do, how we become what he wants us to be, how we can navigate the challenges we face in this life successfully. Well, Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, the Bible says, And one of the Pharisees desired him, that is Jesus, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. Now when the Pharisee, excuse me, verse 38, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. I wonder what he was thinking about, what he was contrasting that to. You know, she's a sinner, not like us. She's a sinner. The Pharisee was, you know, he's a religious person who is in a position of leadership, and he considered himself to be very spiritual. I think sometimes we do the, the same thing, don't we? We look at other people and say, well, that person, well, that, that person is a, he's a wicked, wicked guy. Well, I've got news for you. So are you. And so am I. We all are. That's, that's our nature. So part of the Pharisee's problem was he didn't recognize who he was himself. But anyway, he said if, if he knew who this was, he would not let her touch him because he's, she's a sinner. Well, verse 40, Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. And then Jesus tells about a, and two individuals, one who was forgiven a great debt, one who was forgiven a lesser debt. And, uh, and he asked the question, which one would love more? And the answer is, of course, one who was forgiven more. That's the teaching of this passage. I want us to go beyond that right now, though, and get down to the very bottom, because there's something interesting that Jesus says at the end. Look at verse 48. 
It says, and he said unto her, at the end of all this, he says, this woman, she understands a little more because she's been forgiven of a, of a lot. But he says, thy sins are forgiven. Verse 49, and when they sat, they that sat at meat with him began to say with them themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And then look at the next statement. Jesus said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Now, when Jesus said that to the woman, that indicated that certain things had happened. That woman was now converted. She was believing in the Lord. And certain things were true as a result of that. And then he says to her, go in peace. Do you know any Christians who are genuinely converted, who do not have peace? You know anybody like that? Are you one of those who maybe does not have peace? Jesus said to her, Thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. Her faith brought about her salvation which meant that she was converted, which meant that a a lot of things were true in her life now that were not true before. For you and I as Christians, you and I as believers, when we got saved, a lot of things changed. Now, 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 it may not have been a real dramatic change. You know, there's some people that get saved and all of the wickedness they were involved in is immediately gone. That's wonderful. But for people who were not involved in what we would perceive as great wickedness, who gets saved, there may not be any kind of dramatic change outwardly, because they were always they, they always would be living what most people would consider to be a, a good moral life. So there wasn't a great deal of change outwardly, but there should have been a a, 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 a huge change that takes place inside, and that has to do with our thinking with our attitude, with our understanding, with, with, with our perception of how things are. And so Jesus was saying to this woman, things are going to change in your life, but the biggest thing that ought to change is that whereas before you were full of turmoil and uncertainty, where you were constrained by circumstances, now you're, you should have peace. Go in peace. Now, is there someplace else in Scripture where it talks about that in the same way? Yes, there is. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, Paul, in, in verse number 1, he says this, Therefore being justified by faith. Okay, first thing he says is your faith has saved you. You're justified where before you were condemned. That justification means that you are now a child of God. You've been saved. And that came about because of your faith. Thy faith that saved thee, Jesus said to the woman. Paul says, you're justified by faith. We are justified by faith. And the result of that is we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer 
ought to have peace in the midst of whatever's going on. We've talked in past weeks about how Paul and Silas, they're in, they're in jail, they're in prison, and they're singing. They're joyful in spite of their circumstances, and they, that's because they have peace. Now this morning, we're going to, going to look at a couple of other steps that, that are important that help us to gain the peace that God intends for us to have. So what is peace? Let's, let's answer that question first. What is peace? Well, some people think that peace is the absence of conflict. You know, if we don't have any conflict, you know, we would talk about our country. If we're not in a war with somebody, then we say we are at peace. Well, the truth is, it doesn't matter whether it war or not, whether we are at war or not, for a believer, there ought to be peace in our heart anyway. But peace on a national scale, that's one thing. What about peace in the church? If we have no conflicts in the church, if everybody's on the same page, we're all getting along together. If we don't take offense at what other people say, then, then maybe, maybe we can have peace. And if that's what Jesus means when he says, uh, you've been justified by faith, now, now you have peace with God, if it means we're supposed to have peace in the church all the time, then we're in trouble. Because we got all kinds of different people that have all different opinions and they're gonna, they're gonna be conflicts. It's not always gonna be wonderful. When we get to heaven, the, all the, all the conflicts will be gone. But, uh, but here on this earth, even in churches, there, there are gonna be some conflicts. So we have to have peace in spite of the conflicts. What about in the home? Shouldn't every home have absolute peace? Wouldn't that be wonderful? That would be, that would be wonderful. You know, my wife and I, we have peace in our home. But part of the reason for that is all our kids are gone. <laughs> no, that's not, that's, that's, that's not. If, if, if my kids are watching this, we love you and, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, <laughs> we enjoy it when they come. But, but we enjoy it in spite of the fact that there are conflicts that occur. Even in a home where there's only two people, there's still two people there. And there's no way to have what would be considered absolute peace at all times. We have peace because we choose to in spite of the fact that there are on occasion conflicts. That's just, that's just the way life is. But then there's another, another aspect of peace that every one of us can have, and that's peace in our heart. And that is not peace with God, that is the peace of God. There's a difference. When a person gets saved, they gain a standing with God that gives them peace as far as their relationship with the Lord. It is by faith by faith that that we are we are righteous in God's in God's eyes faith determines our position as believers when we stand before the Lord faith determines our position as believers but faith also dictates our practice as believers and they're two separate things the first one gives us peace with God the second one gives us the peace of God. And they are two separate things. Let me give you, first of all, 
a definition of peace, what genuine peace is for a believer. Peace is the spiritual calmness, confidence, and contentment that exists in the heart of a believer who is fully resting in God. Think about that for a moment. Comfort, confidence, contentment. Because we are resting completely in the Lord. What that means is it doesn't matter what's going on around you. It doesn't matter what kind of challenges we're facing. It doesn't matter that there's a disease that might, you know, we might catch it and we might end up in the hospital. We might even end up dying. The Bible says that to, to, to live, let's see, what does it say? To die is gain. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To live, living is, yeah, to live is Christ. I had it right. To, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So dying is not, is not necessarily a bad thing. But peace, peace is that which comes when we have complete comfort, confidence, and contentment because we are resting in our God. Now, what causes us to lose our peace? It's circumstances. It's the challenges of life. Paul, Paul lists two things. We're not, we're not going to turn there, but if you go to, to chapter 7, he talks about, a couple chapters over, he talks about the battle he has with his flesh. And he says, my flesh constrains me to do things that I, I shouldn't do. And it keeps me from doing the things that I should do. You know, peace means that you are able to rest in, in the Lord in spite of the fact that you have those, those, those battles. Uh, you, ever get, you ever get feeling guilty because you don't do everything you should do? Or because you do some things that you shouldn't do? Don't anybody raise their hand, but answer in your heart. This last week, did you do anything you shouldn't do? Did you think anything you shouldn't think? Did you say anything you shouldn't say? Were there things last week you should have done that you didn't do? And were there things that you said that now you look back and you think, boy, I wish I hadn't said that. Those kinds of things are part of of the circumstances of this life. I'm not, I'm not excusing them. I'm not saying they're okay. I'm not saying that we ought not to be working to overcome them. And I'm not saying that we ought not to feel some responsibility for having failed in some of those areas. What I am saying, that in spite of those battles, we as believers ought to have peace. When I talked about the peace with God that comes as a result of our, our faith at salvation. Paul says, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith. By faith, we put our trust in Christ. And that faith di- dictated, it determined our position as believers before God. We, we, gained, we gained his righteousness. Now, there were four things that happened, four things we gained when we put our faith in Christ. Four things that are ours and that we don't do anything for other than trusting Christ. God gives us these four things 
They're gifts. We don't have to do anything for them. The first one is salvation itself. We're saved by faith, not of works. It's the gift of God. Less than he mentioned most. We're, we're, we, we, we trust him, and God gives us the gift of salvation. Number two, sanctification. Paul said, having begun in the spirit, are you now be perfect in the flesh? We get sanctification because of what God does in us to change us. Number three is security. That's a gift that God gives us. We don't have to worry about where we're going to go when we die. We don't have to worry about our standing before God. We are secure in Christ. We do not have to hang on because he's got hold of us. And and we are secure in him. And the fourth thing is strength. He gives us strength to bear up under any situation that we face. He's going to do that. He, he, will, he will give us what we need to be able to make it in spite of the circumstances that we face. That's the peace with God. That comes from God freely. We don't have to do anything to get those things from God. However, the second part, the peace of God, is the result of our faith as well. The peace of God comes as a direct result of our faith, but it's a little different. Faith dictates our practice as believers. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, look look at uh, verse number 2 of Romans chapter 5. Paul says, let, let's read verse 1 and then go into verse 2. He says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also, notice that word also, It's not just faith that brings salvation. We're not just justified by faith. But also, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Now, how do do we have that justification? How are we saved? It is by grace. It's God's grace. And you know what that grace represents? A gift that God has given us. But there's more to it than that. He says, "For for whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and notice this, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, salvation is a result of faith. We exercise our faith, and then the, the, the next step, the thing that we need to be able to deal with everything that's going on, is hope. Hope is important for a believer. Paul goes on to say in verse number uh, verse number three, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, experience hope, and that hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. In in Romans chapter eight, Paul talks about the fact we're in bondage to the corruption of this world, and we're waiting with great anticipation for the deliverance that's going to come, the, the, uh, um, the uh, redemption of our bodies. We're going to get new bodies, and all of this will be gone. And then he goes on and talks about the importance of hope. Hope is important. Hope, we, we, we have hope. We have hope for all of this. You know that hope is born 
out of trouble. What do you hope for? As we look at this world today and what's going on, do you have certain hopes? What I said at the beginning of the service, you woke up this morning and you looked around and said, oh, it's still 2020. I'm hoping all this will be gone soon. You know, I mean, I want to get back to normal life. But you know what? Even in normal life, we have hopes for things to be different because normal life is not a cakewalk. It's always, there's, there are always struggles. There are always challenges. It's part of who we are. It's part of where we live. And if we did not have hope, what would end up happening? We, we would despair. So hope is born out of trouble. Do you know if, if, uh, if there was no God and there was no promise, there was no expectation of, of wonderful things to come, do you know there'd be no trouble? The only way there's trouble is because they, and, and, and what's the first thing anybody says when some, some tragedy happens? Somewhere in their thinking, they'll ask this question. Even those who don't believe, they'll say, why would God allow that to happen? Because in their mind, they understand that there is a God, even though they may deny his existence. And they compare their circumstances to what they perceive should be the goodness of God. So, so they say, why would God allow this to happen to me? Why would God allow this to happen to our country? They're comparing it to the good that is God. And in doing so, they are expressing the need for hope. There must be hope. And for a believer, that hope is essential. The Bible talks about when a loved one dies. And it says that we sorrow. But we sorrow not as others who have what? No hope. We, our sorrow is different because we have hope. We see what is coming in the future. Paul talks at length about it in Romans chapter 8. Well, here in, in, in chapter 5, he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So, faith determines our, our position as believers. We're righteous before God. But faith also dictates our practice as believers. We have the peace of God, peace with God, which gives us salvation, sanctification, security, strength. But we have the peace with God when we have that hope. And that hope comes from the four things that come when we exercise our faith. Now, we, I've talked about this before. Let me, let me remind you what faith is. It's not a tool by which we get things from God. Faith is the filter through which we view circumstances in life, whether good or bad. You look at them through the eyes of faith. Joseph got cast in the pit, got thrown in prison because of something he didn't do. He looked at those circumstances through the eyes of faith because he knew God that these, these four things were true. Number one, faith, faith in practice, seeing things through the eyes of faith, helps us to see the presence of God in every situation doesn't matter what we're going through. God's there with us. 
My sister's husband has been battling pneumonia. It's been, been, been constant ever since, uh, for eight years, he's had, had pneumonia. He comes home, when he gets a little better, then he goes back to the hospital, comes home, goes back to the hospital. She gets through it because of the hope that she has, because when she looks at the circumstance through the eyes of faith, she can see the presence of her Savior. That's important. Whatever you're going through, whatever you battle, whatever challenges you face, if you exercise your faith, you look at it, that circumstance through the eyes of faith, you'll see the presence of God in that situation. Number two, not only do you see his presence, you see that he has a purpose. Romans 8, 28, we all know that verse. We all know that verse. <laughs> How does it start? For we know that all things work together for good. To them who love God. To them who are called according to His purpose. Purpose. Purpose is important. We understand that God's got a purpose. It's a, it's a broad thing. It's a general thing. He's got a purpose for each of us individually. When a believer gets saved then God begins to work to accomplish his purpose in that person's life. So, we believe, we, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Every circumstance that has come about in my life, from the time I got saved until this day, was part of God's purpose for my life. He allowed it to shape my character and to mold my thinking, to help me to see things from a right perspective, to change me into what I am now, which is very different than what I was many, many years ago. My wife and I have been married 47 years ago. We are different. I'll get a picture of us. We got married 47 years ago and show it to you. I'll have to do that. You can look at your own. And you know how different you are. Things change. What we see in a picture is physical differences. But we're very different than we were spiritually back then too. Because God has been working in each of our lives for all these years. I'm, I'm different. Things happened. And his purpose was being fulfilled in our lives. So if we look at things, circumstances, through the eyes of faith, we see his presence, we see his purpose, Number three, we see his plan. What is his plan? His plan is the way he accomplishes his purpose. His plan is more specific than his purpose. For me, God's purpose for me was to be a preacher, to be a pastor of a church. His plan was for me to go through all of the other circumstances I've dealt with until today I am the pastor of Trinity Baptist Church. And that's God's plan. That's how, that's how he accomplished his purpose, was through that plan. So we see God's, God's presence, his purpose, his plan. And then number four, you see also God's power. God has the power to work his plan to fulfill his purpose for us. And when you understand all of that, it doesn't matter what you're facing. That 
will give you hope. So what is hope? Hope is the positive expectation that is created in the heart of a believer when he exercises faith. Let me say that again. Hope is the positive expectation that is created in the heart of a believer when he exercises faith. You know when we lose hope? is when we're not seeing things through the eyes of faith. It's when we're looking at things through the eyes of our own strength. It's when we look at a, a financial need and say, there's no way that I can come up with that money. How am I going to manage this? And, and, and I start looking at all different options that I have personally, physically, on this earth. And I look at it and I say, there's no hope. There's no way to fix that. There's no answer to that problem. But when I look at it through the eyes of faith, I see his presence. I see his purpose. He's not going to, he's, he's going to fulfill his purpose. I see his plan. And I see his power. And all of a sudden, my attitude changes. The despair is gone. Now, I have hope. Because I can see that God's in control. Faith, then hope. Exercising faith brings hope. And hope leads to the third thing. Notice again in verse number 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this, this grace where we stand and rejoice in hope. You know what, what joy is? Joy is the normal reaction in the heart of a believer who has chosen to celebrate the sovereign working of God in his life. Now what does that mean? That means when we see all of those things and our hope is restored, then it creates joy in our heart. It's interesting, you look at, um, at verse number 3 of chapter 5, it says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. The word glory in verse number 3, that's the same word that is translated rejoice in verse number 2. You understand what that means? That means when the trial comes, if we see things through the eyes of faith, then we're going to rejoice in the trial. Now, there are people who would say, well, preacher, that doesn't make any sense. You don't rejoice when things go bad. No, we don't. But we're supposed to. And why is that? Because every trial that we face is an opportunity for God to show us His presence, His purpose, His plan, and His power. That's how all of that is revealed in those trials. We face the trial and we begin to despair and we, we look at it through our human eyes and we say, there's no hope. And then we look at it through the eyes of faith and we see those things and then we rejoice. We glory because God is in control. Then we come to the fourth thing, which is the whole point which is peace. What is peace? I gave you the definition at the beginning. Peace is the spiritual calmness 
confidence and contentment that exists in the heart of a believer who is fully resting in his God. How does he do that? He does it because he has the joy, because he knows the tribulation is not a problem. How does he know that? Because he has the hope that is the result of him exercising his faith. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, but then we have access to the grace that makes it possible for us to see through the eyes of faith. I think sometimes we fail to realize just how important faith is in our daily life. The challenges that we face, the first, the first response ought to be seeing things through the eyes of faith. Somebody gets sick, okay, that's not pleasant. Is there hope? Absolutely, if you see it through the eyes of faith. There's a financial problem. Is there hope? Yes, sir. If you look at it through the eyes of faith, whatever, whatever the challenge is, the answer is found in looking at it for a believer through the eyes of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And when we choose not to look through the eyes of faith, then we, devoid, we put ourselves in a position where we do not have the hope that God intends for us to have. Now, now Paul, he, he, he explains all of this. Verse number three, not only so, we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, experience hope. So the means to us gaining hope is the tribulation that we experience. Hope maketh not ashamed. Verse number six, when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely shall a righteous, for a righteous man will one yet will die, will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God committed himself toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for somebody who's good. He died for somebody who was inherently evil. And he died for us in spite of the fact that he knew that was true. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Now, the whole point of that is, yes, we're saved. Yes, we're going to heaven. Christ died for us to give us that gift of eternal life. That's wonderful. But he died to give us that hope in this life as well. The ability to deal with challenges that we face with a positive spirit because we are seeing things through the eyes of faith. Faith leads to hope. Hope gives us joy. And when you have all three of those, then peace is the natural result. Over the years, I've been, I've been serving the Lord. I've been pastoring. 
those who I have had occasion to meet with in the latter days of their life have been a great blessing. Over the years, I think back on on people since I've been at Trinity who have died and who knew they were dying. I think about my parents. I think about Myra's mom and dad and the confidence that they had, the peace that they had. What was it? It was a spiritual calmness, calmness, confidence, and contentment that was the result of them fully resting in God. But they were having the worst kind of tribulation. And what is that? That's when your body stops functioning. It's not going to work anymore. You've been to the doctor. The doctors have done everything they can. And they say, I'm sorry. There's nothing more we can do. And they'll say something like, now it's in, it's in the Lord's hands. Well, the doctor doesn't realize sometimes that it's always been in God's hands. Wasn't well, just when he finally got done with everything he did. Now he can turn it over to God and God can handle this. No, God's been taking care of it the whole way. But you see what's about to happen. And, and when you get to the end, of the end of your life, you know what? Your, your, your vision changes. You see things a little differently. You look at things through the eyes of faith. You think about the truth of God's word, the promises that God has made. And the hope begins to grow in your heart because you know what God has said. You know that God's presence is very real. You know that he's got a purpose. That he's got a plan for working it all out. And we know absolutely that he has power to bring it to pass. And when you are in that situation and you're looking at it through the eyes of faith and you realize those things, you know what happens? A joy comes in your heart. A realization that God is working his sovereign will in your life to ultimately conform you to the image of his son, which will eventually take place when you're in his presence. And when you've got all of that, the peace floods your soul. And there's no more anxiety. There's no more uncertainty. There's no more more despair. In fact, there's an eager anticipation for what God is yet to do in your heart and life. I've seen it so many times over and over and over and over again. They talk about dying peace. God gives you dying peace. Well, what it really is, is you get to the place where you finally start looking at things through the eyes of faith. Because Seeing it from a human perspective doesn't provide any hope at all. The same thing that gives people who are dying, who know the Lord, the hope and the joy and the peace that they need to face that final enemy, the worst enemy that we face. The same faith that helps them to to manage in that situation will help us with what we face tomorrow if we're willing to exercise that faith. Jesus said to that woman, by faith is saved thee, go in peace. 
Paul says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because of our faith. But the truth is, we can have the peace of God as well every day of our lives if we'll exercise that faith. It's, it's part of His grace. Don't spend your life feeling despair and anger and frustration and pain and sorrow and all those things that, that God does not intend for us to deal with because He's given us, He's given us His grace. Faith, hope, joy, peace. They'll work tomorrow if you'll exercise that faith. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed.